talking about fullness for this year. Uh, we're in the little subset right now called Matters Along the Way, Being Aware of Satanic Plans. Last week, we talked about a general overview. And we said that everything the enemy does comes under the umbrella of deception because he is a liar. He was the father of all lies. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that God is the father of all mercies. That means all mercy comes from God, whether it's through somebody or through an agency or through your spouse. All mercy has its origins in God. Uh, he's the father of mercies. We also know that the enemy is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. So deception is his middle name. And that dis, um, manifests itself through destruction or persecution. That's where we'll start today. Um, next week at deception, uh, we'll, we'll talk about how the devil is a deceiver. We've made a statement that was brought to us from one of the pilgrim or Puritan fathers, never believe the devil even when he's telling the truth. Um, and we, we know that he is the great deceiver. We'll talk about that next week with the help of the Lord. Then we have two more messages after that. There's the idea of distortion or, or dilution. Um, all of these things are typified from the book of Acts. The, the persecution, the pollution or distortion or dilution, it's Acts chapter 4, 5, and 6. And then distraction was in Acts chapter 6. So we're going to take a little bit closer look at those things. And... Um, <clears throat> But, but today we're going to focus on the idea of destruction. The biblical term is the word persecution. Now, we have often thought of persecution being uh, in third world countries or being in the past. And um, it certainly is rampant in third world countries. It's... Um, it's certainly been a part of Christian history, this idea of persecution, but I think you'd be surprised at two things. Number one, you would probably be surprised at how much persecution is going on right now. Um, more than one uh, body has, um, of experts has said that there is more martyrdom uh, right now, in the 20th century, in the early 21st century, more martyrdom right now than there was in the first 1900 years of the history of the church. Um, and, I, and I think that's true. That's why whenever we came to our new prayer points for the year, uh, or, or to, to carry us forward however long, the first thing we wanted to pray about was prayer for the persecuted church. Um, you would be surprised at how much I'm not even talking about the Old Testament example, how much the idea of persecution is mentioned in the New Testament. Um, in fact, in your notes, there are about 15 or 16 verses, and these, this isn't all of them, but as you read through that, you'll be able to see where the word persecute or persecuted is, um, uh, is highlighted. And there, that's not even include, that's not all of them, and it's not even including those where synonyms for persecution were used. This is just the idea of persecution. This is rooted in the idea of John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that the, they would have life and have it abundantly. Paul wrote to Timothy, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We, we do everything in our power as a church culture to not preach that because we think that we somehow through the power of declaration can make Jesus declarations go away if we don't like them. This, you've, I've never seen a refrigerator magnet. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now I do put, I do put some verses on, and not all of them are used properly. Um, I remember uh, putting the one on the Lord uh, on the refrigerator from the Old Testament says, "The fat is the Lord's." You know, like I'm here at the fridge. This is your problem, not mine. 
But I, I want you to see some things to help you understand persecution. Uh, if you walk away from this thing being discouraged uh, or, or depressed, it might be that the Holy Spirit is using that to wake you up, but that's not the intention of the message. Jesus would speak to his disciples and he, he put it this way. He said, I have told you these things so that you might be aware that they will happen. It was the idea of preparation. So uh, in, in point number one, the concept, <coughs> excuse me, there are about 15 passages that have to do, some from the words of Jesus, some from the words of the um, apostles. Uh, and I, I think there's one that we really ought to read. It's the last one, Romans 8.35. Because when we think about persecution, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer, of course, is none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God. So the concept is one of persecution. The second thing that I want you to see in your outline is the perspective of Jesus. Now, loved ones, I'm, again, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going through this rather quickly today. Uh, and I want, to, I want to make our action points out of the Christian life lessons. But the perspective of Jesus on persecution is that he was going to prepare them to be persecuted. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hate me, they will hate you. And he not only uh, prepared them to experience persecution, he said, I want you to understand that even though persecution will come, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He began in Mark 13, be sure that no one leads you away. All of these things are going to take place in the end times. And then he says in verse 9, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So he said, you want to be anointed? You want to know the involvement of the Holy Spirit? Look for it in times of persecution. Now, persecution is going to do some horrific things, some of them unthinkable. Uh, some of them unthinkable because of American culture. We, this is not what America is about. Others of us, our families are so strong that it's unthinkable that this could happen in our families. But not all families are strong. He said... Uh, Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now Jesus said I'm going to prepare you for it. Know that the Holy Spirit will help you. But he said I want to take you a little bit deeper. Number one, uh, letter A in your outline, what are the reasons for persecution? Pastor, if you're saying we're really going to face persecution, what are the reasons for it? Well, there's two reasons, basically, and both of them are monumental and divine. The first reason we would face persecution is because of the Lord we love. We love the Lord, and that's the bottom line reason for persecution. Can I tell you that the world does not love Jesus? You say, well, it's not that they don't love Jesus. It's that they don't love the church. Oh, that's just, that's just a, a, a sham, really. That's, that's just a surface excuse. The world loves Jesus as long as he's in a baby that needs, uh, in a manger, a baby that needs his diaper changed. And the world loves Jesus when he's naked on the cross and, and in their minds can't come and do anything to you. So the world loves Jesus as long as he's helpless. The world loves Jesus as long as he's powerless. But when Jesus begins to make demands 
take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus says that I am God, and he says to every other religion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The world does not love Jesus. The world does not love his church. Now, we're, we can go through a phase where the, God's okay because God could be anything. Somebody asked a prominent actor, one of my favorite actors, as a matter of fact, do you believe in God? And he kind of paused a moment. I was interested in his response. And he said, yes, I do believe in God. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. Maybe he's on the path to the kingdom. And then he said this, I believe in God because I believe all of us have a little bit of God in us. And you see, God's okay because you can make God powerless. You can make God part of your left lung if you want to. You can make God a tree. You can make God the beasts of the field. You can say that the God image is in all of us. But the fact of the matter is, when you really love the Lord, it's just a matter of time until you will be persecuted for that because the world does not love the Lord. And a place like America, it's most difficult to see that. I mean, if we lived under Sharia law, it'd be obvious they didn't love the Lord. Or if we lived under some extreme humanistic mindset that the government followed, it'd be obvious that we don't love the Lord. But in America, you know, everybody that runs for office almost, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but everybody identifies himself as a Christian. Now, what that means is they went to church four years ago, you know, but I mean, I read a book one time, you know, it was about the religious faith of the presidents. And there were many presidents that were genuinely born again. But it seems like, especially in later years, we have someone that identifies himself as a Christian or they're running for president or governor or whatever, I identify as a Christian. And what that means is uh, I'm, I'm not Buddhist or I'm not Hindu or I'm not Jewish or I'm not Muslim. And it becomes like, uh, you know, a Rotary Club membership. No, I, I want to tell you, when you love Jesus and you come up against people that do not love Jesus, it's going to become a clash very, very soon. So we're persecuted because of the Lord that we love. We're also persecuted because of the life that we live. I mean, if you not only love Jesus, and you see the two are inextricably linked. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you've got a double barrel shotgun spiritually faced at you. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Well, if you really love Jesus, you'll live for Jesus. And that's the two reasons that they hate us. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, he said, you're going to be persecuted not only because you love me, they hated me, they'll hate you, but you're going to be persecuted because you live a righteous life. In fact, the word righteousness comes from a root word which means to divide or to be different. And Paul put it this way, it means to not be conformed to this world or squeezed into the world's mold. Do you know that to live a righteous life is not to compromise in the name of tolerance? To live a righteous life is to not live such a vague Christian existence that you never offend anyone. A righteous life will, by its nature, separate you from a pagan culture. And the result is going to be persecution. Um, I, I, well, let me just put it this way. I think C.S. Lewis said it best, and he talked about uh, his, his following the Lord. There's a new movie out. Uh, I forget the name of it, The Most Reluctant Convert or something like that. It's excellent. Max McLean uh, does his stage portrayal of C.S. Lewis, and it is magnificent. I encourage you to see it. But, but Mac, uh, Max McLean, uh, excuse me, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if the gospel is not true, uh, if the claims of Christ are not true, they're of very little importance. But if the gospels are true, 
They are of supreme importance. Uh, he, he was saying this, the gospel is structured that you can't be, well, it's one of many. It's either a liar from a lunatic, lies from a lunatic, or it is truth that must be dealt with. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis that first said, Jesus is either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And it can get you in trouble to believe that he's Lord. So that's the reason for persecution. Right now, persecution to us is about our politics. Because we, we, we equate the gospel with our political views. You know, Jesus is a Democrat, or Jesus is a Republican, or Jesus is a Libertarian, you know. And, we, and we, we're, we're in a hostile environment right now because even the church is equating the gospel with their politics. But it's really about our love for Jesus and our keeping His commandments. And I know there can be overlapping. <laughs> I hope that the commandments of Jesus overlap your politics. I know that. But what I'm saying is we're not even worthy to talk about persecution because we've got Christians around the world dying because they love Jesus. We're saying we're persecuted because I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Well, if you don't want, you're not going to respond any better than that. I'm moving on. Um, <laughs> What are the results of persecution? First of all, real persecution will result in physical suffering. He said, Jesus did, that some will be beaten, some will be put to death, some will be imprisoned. But it's not just physical. There's also emotional suffering uh, that could be caused from imprisonment. But legal entanglements, broken relationships. Uh, there's a passage of Scripture that I'm seeing so... Um, being so fulfilled with such rapidity without natural affection. He said in the last days men would be without natural affection. And we automatically think that's talking about sexual sins. And, and I certainly think that it may include sexual sins. But loved ones, there's a whole nother way, a whole nother, boy I've gone back to my southern roots, a whole nother way, there's another way of looking at this idea of without natural affection. And it was used in some settings before outside the Bible where it just means that the affection that you would think would be natural is not followed. Like a father loving his children, a mother loving her baby, sons loving their grandpas or, you know, it, it, the, the world, is, it's, it's not just sexually that the world is breaking down. We are in a situation, Jesus said, I, remember when he said, I've come to bring a sword and I've come to bring division? Jesus was not saying, hey, my goal is to divide every household. But he said, my message by its nature, my message by its demands will split the most sacred units, not by my intent, but by the demands of the gospel. And one of the things that we need to look at when, when friends are no longer friends and families are no longer families and couples are no longer couples, whenever they begin to disintegrate and people live without natural affections, it's a sign of the end and it's a sign of persecution. So divided families. So there's physical suffering, there's emotional suffering. Now, what are the realms of persecution? Okay, where will we see persecution take place? Number one, there will be religious persecution. You know what Jesus said? In the councils and synagogues, they will persecute you. That's religious persecution. See, persecution for the church started in the Jewish system that rejected him. Not all Jews were persecuted, and the Jewish people are not cursed uh, because of the actions of their, of their leaders. But he said there's going to be some persecution that is religious. Your councils and synagogues will persecute you. And I want to tell you that we need to be careful when we agree to things, whether it's as a denomination or as a citizen, because power granted will eventually be power used. I've never understood whether they're a politician or even a church politician, say, we need this in place, but we would never use it. 
And my, my immediate thought is, why would you never use it? I mean, why would you want it in place if you're never going to use it? And, I, and I'm telling you, I love America. I've, 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 I am loyal to America, you know, with all of my heart. Um, but I need to, we need to understand that uh, we, we ought to always be cautious when power is grabbed without a limit. When power is grabbed, even good things, I know this is going to be controversial, but I, even the Patriot Act, which I think has served us well so many times, I, I, I'm, I'm, I was disturbed when I heard about President Bush instituting the Patriot Act until I heard that it had a limit to it. It, it was going to end. Now they've renewed it, but I, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm, I'm enough of a, of a cautious person whether it's from church or government, power given is power that will usually be used. So don't say that persecution can't happen here. Um, it'll be not only religious, it'll be governmental. He said, not only will you go before councils and synagogues, but you will go before kings and magistrates. This has to do with governmental persecution. Persecution from the government has been a constant in the history of the church from the very beginning. It's been the way with our, with our forefathers, and with, if we as Americans don't think that way, but mark it down around the world, there is government persecution. And many of you are like me, you know people that have said, here, even here in America, I love my country, but I fear my government. Now, no, I'm not a member of the John Birch Society or anything like that, I, not at all. I'm just simply saying, and you're, and you're very tense because we don't think in terms of persecution, but I'm telling you, Jesus said it will come from religious organizations and it will come from government organizations and there will be domestic persecution, father against child, child against father, brother against brother, family members shall deliver one another to death. He said, you're going to suffer that for my name's sake. You say, pastor, I can't believe that my son would do that or my grandson would do that or my wife would do that. Well, you know, there's two lines of prophecy in the scripture. One that says in the last days, evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse. And one that says in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. You don't have to fulfill that verse. In fact, I think every day we ought to decide I'm not going to fulfill the prophecy that's true. Evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse. Things will get worse and worse. I'm going to fulfill the verse that says in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit, says the Lord, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Jesus didn't say that all family members will be untrustworthy. He said in the most unlikely places. And you know what? These are the three most unlikely places. Religion was designed to point man fully to God. Do you know that God gave us government to protect the pursuit of God and righteous freedom. And God gave families to, to believe in safety and, and, or, or to preserve safety and, and stability and to teach a child how to worship God. And we see such an attack on religious institutions, government institutions, domestic institutions. And then we just have social persecution. He says, you will be hated on all men because I will allow things like Facebook to come to pass. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I misread that. I misread that. Um. <clears throat> The history of the church's persecution socially began, began in the early days when Christians were not allowed to be a member of a trade guild so they could not buy or sell. When John told them that there was coming a world ruler called the Antichrist, and unless you played by his rules, you'll not be allowed to buy or sell. We, we, we go to seminars and spend four days trying to figure out what the mark of the beast is. And I don't think we know what the mark of the beast is, but I know what the beast, mark of the beast is about because those early Christians understood society will shut down around you so that you're not able to buy or sell. 
they will hold you at arm's length and you will be hated of all men. And it began with the guilds in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. It began with the yellow stars. If you were Jewish, uh, there are... There is a process in place that we can be shut down and shut out socially. Uh, it's ir irrational, it's illogical, and the new buzzword that we're having to deal with is tolerance. And guys, I know I'm depressing you, but I, I want you to understand, religiously, governmentally, domestically, and socially, you need to understand that the great probability is not that you're not going to be persecuted, but that you are going to be persecuted. Okay, what's the response to persecution? Well, let's hurry. First of all, when persecution comes, um, it is an opportunity to trust. The gospel must first be published of all nations when they lead you and deliver you up. Take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, speak it. In other words, he said, it's coming, I'm preparing you, and I'm empowering you to work with the Holy Spirit. So when persecution comes, um, the first thing, and, and, and this is counterintuitive, this is not what our flesh would respond with. But number one, it is an opportunity for us to trust. It is an opportunity for us to trust. And you say, well, I do trust the Lord. Well, I know, but it's easy to say you trust the Lord when you've got everything that you need. But this is going to be a true opportunity to trust, to trust Him with your children, to trust Him with your grandchildren. It worked so well in the early church that the writer of Hebrews says, I am amazed that you, you received gladly the confiscation of your goods. Why would someone receive gladly the confiscation of their goods, losing their home, losing their possessions, losing their food, whatever it was? He said, because you knew that you have a better place. See, loved ones, sooner or later, we, we reach a point where we really believe that heaven is everything that it was meant to be. You know, I, I, I got a letter from an old school buddy and telling me if you'll eat this way, you can live to be 100, maybe 110. And I looked at it and I laughed. I said, I don't want to live to be 100. <laughs> not, not if the last few years, not if this trajectory continues. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to live to be 100 or 110. I want to go to heaven. Now, I don't want to go today. But something's got to happen in our lives so that going to heaven's not a bad thing anymore, okay? Well, anyway, it's an opportunity to trust, but it will also be an opportunity to testify. When persecution comes, Stephen's brightest moment, so far as we know, as far as we know, was his opportunity to testify to the grace of God. <laughs> to the grace of God uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Now, we, we, it's inferred, it's not outright stated, but it's very heavily inferred that one of the major reasons that Saul became a Christian was the effect of Stephen's defense in Acts chapter 7. So at what appears to be the worst case can actually be God planting a seed, and we're the seed, and it blossoms into something more beautiful than we can imagine. Um, this is difficult because the greater the stress level in a situation, the greater the tendency we have to defend ourselves. I want to tell you this, um, if you're going to begin to wrap your heads around the idea of persecution, you need to understand that your skill is not always going to be found in defending yourself. Now, there's a time to defend yourself. Peter said, let's every man be able to give a reason for his faith. But many a good chance to testify has been lost by men not wanting to be run over and by women not wanting to appear vulnerable. Jesus was never out of control a single moment in his life. But when it came time 
for the persecution, the, the, the final persecution, where he lost his life and was on trial. He appeared to be weak. It, so much so that Pilate said, you, you better talk to me because you don't understand. I hold all the cards here. I can set you free or I can destroy your life. I think you better rethink your response. And Jesus didn't rethink his response. He just explained the reason for his response. He said, you couldn't touch me in any way unless Father gave you permission. So it's an opportunity to testify. Are you ready for this one? Boy, this one's hard. It's an opportunity for thanksgiving. An opportunity for thanksgiving. I read Acts 5.41. Every time I read this, I can't help it. Every time I read this, I can never just go to the next verse. I end up just stopping there. And, and, and it, it amazes me. They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for His namesake. Now, you know, I've had situations where give me a few weeks to work through it. I can rejoice that I'm worthy to suffer for His namesake. But it takes me a while. But they, as they were leaving and the blood is still dripping off their backs, they're rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for His namesake. Paul helped us understand why we feel that way. He said, if we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. But if we deny Him, He will deny us. Now, let's Let's begin to, to wrap this up here. Um, Revelation 11, I need to read all 13 verses if you just bear with me. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations. They'll trample the holy city for 42 months. And that's, that's setting the stage. We won't take time to try to explain that today. But he said, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified, of course Jerusalem, for three and a half days. Some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Man, it's going to be a time when the world exchanges presents because somebody's been murdered. Hard to imagine. <clears throat> because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from seven, seven, heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now we don't know who these two witnesses are. If you're from a dispensationalist background, there's, people believe that it might be Moses and Elijah. They didn't die a natural death and they were seen with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's possible. I mean, it's possible that it was Moses and Elijah. Um, it, it could be Fred and George. We just don't know uh, who they are. But these were people of power, incredible power. And Adrian Rogers, I heard him preach a sermon years ago, and I've never forgotten his outline. He said, here are 
five of the best characteristics of those who are successfully persecuted. For I remember him asking the question, how many of you want to be successfully persecuted? And I, I, I was like, I don't want to be persecuted, but if I am, I want to be successful. So these are the five things Adrian Rogers said. And th this is his sermon, and it's worth it's worth looking up, uh, listening to him preach. He said the first thing about these two witnesses, he said they were spiritually prepared. Um, they were called lampstands indicating their light. That goes back to the book of Zechariah where it talks about Joshua the high priest. They were dressed in sackcloth <clears throat> because they were called to preach judgment. And following Jesus' words, following the picture in Zechariah, they were, they, they were uh, persecuted, but they were helped by the Holy Spirit. They're dressed in sackcloth because they knew their mission. It was to preach judgment. So he said, these witnesses went out knowing that they had a mission. Number two, <clears throat> they were sovereignly protected. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have power over death in the same way that Elijah had before the captains of the fifty. Whenever someone tried to do them in, they had power to destroy them. They had some power over nature, which is sort of makes you think of Elijah too. Um, but what we see is that whatever they need to survive and do the will of God, Jehovah sees to it. Okay, so they're spiritually prepared. They're sovereignly protected. Number three, they are satanically persecuted. They are attacked by the forces of Antichrist and the beast. And this is the principle of Revelation 12. The next chapter, John explains why things like Revelation 11 will happen and why they've always happened and why the churches were going through those things then and why we'll go through them till the end of time. Um, and the principle, whether it's in Revelation 12 or Revelation 11 or most of church history, quite frankly, is that it appears the enemy wins more than it appears you and I win. Remember I told you years ago, we're about to go through a period, and I think we're in it now, where it will appear that we have lost before it will begin to appear that we have won. Um, and that's the principle of satanic persecution. But what we've got to understand, loved ones, is when a martyr dies, that does not necessarily mean the devil is won. Even the world celebrated. They, they're buying presents for each other. The world it says, you know, we're free at last from the dominion of these terrorists. But then we see, number four, they are supernaturally preserved. He says that their, their bodies are left in the streets to be abused and mocked for three and a half days. Uh, watch the newsreel of Benito Mussolini and his wife when he was overthrown in Italy and they were hung upside down for several days and just beaten and spat upon. And it's going to be that kind of thing. And, um, but we're also going to find that even though it seems that they've been turned over to the enemy, you've got to remember it appeared Jesus was turned over to the enemy. But how many of you know Jesus won? Okay. But before all these, they shall lay hands on you, persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, prisons, brought before kings. Okay. All of that we read, but I'm reading it from Luke. And this is what Jesus said. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. What we mean by supernaturally preserved, it doesn't mean there won't be persecution that touches your life. It means it will not touch you in any place that matters. Corey Ten Boom said, I saw my father arrested by the Nazis and he was going to be dead in just a few days. And she said, I looked at him and she said, I cried out and said, Lord, you said in Psalm 91, you know, blessed, you know, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And he said, surely the devourer shall not touch you. Surely the wicked one shall not visit your home. Surely he will not be successful. People will fall on your right and your left, but it shall not touch thee. And she said, Lord, where is that promise 
And she said, as I was looking at my 80-something-year-old father in the midst of all that was going around him, and I looked at the peace on his face and the ministry he was doing to others, she said, I realized he's not touched. He's not touched. They're falling right and left. Wickedness is all around him. And my father is preserved from all of that. And all he cares about is who can I point to Jesus? Supernaturally preserved. Um, uh, let's go on to number five. They were successfully, or they successfully prophesied. See, it seems that they didn't succeed. Seems like they failed, but they didn't. You look at Ezekiel, you look at Isaiah, you look at Jeremiah. Those are three of my favorite prophets, but every one of them had one thing in common. Every one of them were told, your words will not be received by and large by the people you preach to. Now they're received by us. And, and, and you know, a lot of writers, a lot of prophets, a lot of preachers have had to come to terms. A lot of Christians, a lot of mamas and daddies have had to come to terms with the realization that your prayers last much longer than you do. Your writings last much longer than you do. Your sermons last much longer than you do. And this ministry turned first Israel and then turned the world, uh, at least those that were, were to be saved. So they were successful. Now, what, what do we do with this, Pastor? Where do we go from here? You say, Pastor, if you hadn't done all that praying, we'd have been out of here 25 minutes ago. <laughs> No, we wouldn't. I'd have just filled it with the other notes I didn't get to. Where do we go from here? Let me give you seven things very quickly. They're just pointers. You've got to live it out. We're talking about understanding, expecting, dealing with persecution. Here's number one. Settle your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, but settle your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be sure there's not anything hanging in your life that would make you not follow the Lord. Jesus made a statement. He said, Satan cometh and findeth nothing in me. See, he, he was saying he's tried everything and there's nothing for him to latch on to. Oh, that all of us could have that testimony. I... I I don't know how you even know it's true unless you just stay in the presence of the Lord. Satan comes and finds nothing in me. Settle your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly if you're not a Christian, come to the Lord today. Number two, seek to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll guide us through dark valleys. We ended last week's sermon talking about that when Paul said, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. And I made the proposition that Paul was understanding that as we move through dark days, we have the tendency to think we need some help. And I think Paul might have even been acknowledging there are days when you need an influence. But it's not wine. It's not liquor. It's not drugs. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he said being filled with wine has excess. And that word probably means, well, we know it means it will result in excessive behavior. But the word also seems to imply that not only will your behavior be silly. Gospel Bill said wine makes you stupid. I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to go with that translation. But it was saying it'll make you act ways that you wouldn't normally act. That's what drunkenness does. But we believe that he was also saying it will give things into you that you don't need and don't want. Lean instead on the Holy Spirit. Seek to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that he will produce fruit in us. He will produce strength in us. And he will be the companion that walks with us through dark valleys. Here's number three. <laughs> watch your responses so that all suffering is for him, not the result of sin or carelessness in our lives. Peter said this. He said, now if you're going to suffer, be sure it's suffering for Jesus, not suffering for your sin. And that's enough said. We've all done things that it's our fault. We've probably all known suffering that 
whatever we're suffering is because we did something stupid. I know I have. It, most of us have done that. And Peter just said, listen, don't fall into the trap of blaming the devil with you reaping the consequences of your sin. Don't, don't write the church off. Don't write your family off. Don't write people off because of the trouble you've created. He said, now when you suffer, he said, be sure that your suffering is for him. And boy, that's a noble thing to work for. Can you imagine what, a, what, what, a, what an awesome testimony it would be to be like Daniel when they said they wanted to bring charges against him? They said, we can't find any charges against him except the way he worships God. Boy, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how many of us would be worthy of that. I, I, but the only thing they've got on you is that you worship God too much? Wow. Peter said that's our goal. Number four, teach your children how to stand alone without generating fear in them. And be sure to be age appropriate. When I say I think we need to prepare our children for persecution, I don't think you need to sit down with a five-year-old and say, you know, there's going to be people that hate you, you know. No, no, no. We tell them the Bible stories and questions will arise. But what we do is we, we fill our children with Jesus and they'll, the same spirit that works in us will come alive in them when necessary. Um, and and I, I also think, daddies, I also think that you need to teach your children that if anything intends to hurt them, it's got to come through you. You, you've you've got to convince them you'd fight a circle saw, you, you'd whip a grizzly bear. You, you, I, I mean, I think that's being a daddy. And, and mommies, I, I don't know how to speak from a mommy's, but mommies protect too. We need to be sure that we wrap around our children the idea of protection and you are safe in our home. But as they grow, they need to understand um, and probably one of the first times they'll ask is, why, why did these men do this to Jesus? Why did this, these men do this to Jesus? Um, number five, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that has no need to be ashamed. Be diligent to faithfully understand God's word. If you're going to deal successfully with persecution, be, be sure you are full of God's word. Stephen was the first recorded martyr um, in the, in the church, in the, in the account of the book of Acts. Um, <coughs> I doubt that he was the first one that died for his faith, but he was the first one in that, in that book that we know of to die for his faith. But the amazing thing to me about Stephen is, well, first of all, would be his faith <coughs> while he was dying. But do you understand that man basically preached a summary of the Old Testament without any notes, no teleprompters. He knew the Scripture. He knew the Scripture, and he knew what we needed to do with the Scripture. He explained it beautifully. He explained it powerfully. And then he said, you know, it's time to end this sermon what prophet has ever come to Jerusalem that you didn't persecute and, and kill? And they begin to look at each other. Then he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ear. This is what you've always done. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do ye. And they were so enraged by it. The Bible says that they stopped their ears. You, you know that you're under an anointing when people do this. You say, Pastor, how can you tell people are responding to you? Well, little, little persecution. First of all, it's... And then it, then it graduates to... Guys, I'm being funny. I'm just I'm telling a joke. You've never done that that I know of. Well... Not, not maliciously. I'm teasing. I'm trying to say this. He was so full of the word 
that he didn't have to go get his preacher to witness to somebody. Number six, be ready to give clear understanding to everyone for the spiritual hope that's in your heart. Now, I believe in apologetics. I believe in, in uh, um, ministries that appeal to reason and logic. and I, I have no, no problem with those things. But loved ones, the fact of the matter is, whether you're taking a high logic approach to witnessing or whether you're taking a low uh, approach, that, that's not low as in bad, just low as in simple, You've got to understand it's only by the Holy Spirit's work that anybody can ever even understand that they're lost. It's only by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If I'm talking to a four-year-old that says, I love Jesus and I want to go to heaven, I have to depend on the Holy Spirit. If I'm meeting with Mensa, and they want to know why Christianity is better than this, 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 and this, I have to depend on, well, first of all, they wouldn't have me at Menza, but I have to depend on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, one of the things God is doing is He's throwing us back in the dependency of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is just live in touch and live in tune. Be ready. Be understanding what's around you. Father, Thank you for the day of prayer that we've had. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know our needs, and we've certainly had time for prayer, but I'm going to ask the ministry team to come here and in Brown Chapel just in case there's somebody that didn't get prayed for earlier or somebody wants to give their heart to the Lord. If you're listening on stream, uh, live stream, you can call the number that's on the screen. Jesus, we want to understand the devices of the enemy. He, he does everything he can to pull us away. And the first most obvious frontal attack is persecution. Help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In Jesus' name we pray. If you would like prayer before you leave, please come to the front. And these prayer warriors will be happy to pray with you. Um, call in uh, if you're listening online, if you'd like to have prayer. If you need to leave, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Come back next week and we'll be going to Genesis 3. And we'll be talking about that word deception. Not destruction, but deception. Okay? God bless you. Thank you for being here today.